Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Special Interest Podcast. I'm Alex. Hey, and I'm Carly. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in today. We are so grateful to have you here, and I'm grateful to be here. Yeah, I'm really grateful to be here. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm good. Well, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of in a in shutdown. I'm coming out of shutdown right now, for sure. It's been a few days. Um, but before this, I went to an amazing yoga retreat and I had so much fun and it was really magical and transformative. And I'm so grateful for the experience. Um, it was really beautiful. So a lot of good and a lot of okayness. <laughs> How about you, Carly? That's nice. What did you do at the retreat? Do you want to share a little bit about some of your key takeaways? I've really been prioritizing learning about the culture of yoga and going deeper into yoga's roots um, because yoga is very appropriated in our culture and the yoga teacher I did this retreat with one of the reasons why I signed up is because they really intentionally built this retreat to honor indigenous people, to honor the indigenous knowledge of yoga and Ayurveda. And the place um, where the retreat was is owned by an Indian family. So they're native to, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but they, you know, are part of the culture of yoga. Um, so that was really special. Uh, so we went hiking and we connected to the earth and learned about the land and ate really good food, did yoga, had some sound meditation, lots of meditating, lots of reading. It was beautiful in the mountains, absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, it was a great experience of connecting with myself realizing that before I went to the retreat, I was very disconnected from myself because of my job and realizing that, realizing how disconnected I was with myself and using the retreat to reconnect. And now I'm in the process of making some changes in my life so I can live more sustainably and more connected to myself because I've been struggling with that. So um, I think the realization of how disconnected I was and having to go back into the situation that was keeping me disconnected resulted in me just shutting down and being like, absolutely not. We're not doing this. Um, and I just kind of played switch and watched TV for a few days. <laughs> and uh, now I'm starting to feel a little better. Yeah. How are you, Carly? I'm good. Thank you. Well, I'm okay. I'm feeling like a little bit sick, but I I'm doing good. I think I'm constantly kind of juggling like multiple emotions at one time because I, we talked about this last week, just see like so much gratitude and like so many things that are around me while also like dealing with some heavy stuff. So um, I'm doing okay. This week was actually my sister's birthday, my sister who has passed away. So I think like the feelings of grief are always something that are kind of hard to I guess live with at times and especially when big events come around like birthdays and holidays and stuff like that because it just makes the emotion that much more intense but with that being said this year and even like maybe like the past couple of years I feel like I don't know my my grief has moved in a different wave I guess you could say where like I am so much more like grateful for like my life even having her as my sister and things like that and just way more acceptance where in the past I wouldn't have been able to talk about this like at all at all I would go into my own version of like shut down 
and um, just not talk about it. But the fact that I guess that I am talking about it kind of shows where I'm at in that grieving journey. And anybody that has lost somebody, um, I'm sure can relate to that. And um, other than that, I am, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I um, attended a master class yesterday with this coach that I have been, um, I guess, following for quite a while. And I felt really called to take this class with her. So I'm doing it again today and tomorrow. And I'm just like, trying to consume as much information as I can and trying to just like better my skills as a coach and up level as like a human in general. And I find a lot of excitement in that while also being like content in my present moment. I guess that's like just the state that I'm in right now is like, yeah, small little steps bringing me to my next version of myself while also being content where I am and juggling all that life presents in this moment. It's a lot. I actually can't juggle. (laughs) (laughs) I've always thought it's a, it's a cool skill, but here I am taking things literally. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you could though. I bet like, that's a thing, I guess, with learning anything, we're going to be bad at anything we just start but if we keep practicing like you'd get you could learn how to juggle I could thank you you, and thank you for sharing all of that of course yeah I appreciate having the space and a safe space for it to be received by our listeners so thank you to everybody that's listening I think for so long I I don't know if you relate to this but like I felt like we were talking to a void for so long or like maybe just each other in these conversations or like my mom and dad who I knew listened but like the fact that we have had so much community around us in this project like it is just such a beautiful thing to find safety and representation within our community it's just like so exciting and I'm so grateful for yeah everybody that we've connected with and those people that like are listening that maybe we haven't talked to before like I hope you know I see you too yeah I guess I don't know how I would I don't think I would be able to do a podcast just on my own with me talking because it's definitely felt like we're having a conversation and when our community tells us, Oh my gosh, we loved your episode. That was so interesting. You know, we listen to your podcast. I'm like, wow, like (laughs) how cool, like people are listening and receiving the information and hopefully it's helping you in some way. And that's really, really cool. Because the whole goal of this project is just to foster that beautiful community that Carly's been talking about. So yeah, we're really grateful. Yay, I think it's such a powerful and important tool to recognize the small things in life. Because I think sometimes, yeah, like the weight of the world can just feel so heavy. And I think, yeah, like you're not alone in what you're feeling. We can hold the weight together. (laughs) Yes, yes. Lean on your community. I never, yeah, I never really resonated with that before, but I'm starting to now in my, in my old age. (laughs) And with that being said, I want to thank everybody who's listened and I want to provide a gentle trigger warning for the topic that we're going to discuss today. It is something that Alex and I have been wanting to share since the beginning, but it has taken our own journeys to process our experiences and also continue to listen to those in the community 
and be respectful of everybody's opinions and everybody's experiences. So if this topic is too triggering for you, we appreciate you tuning in this far and we will talk to you again next week. And today we are going to be talking about ABA. So I feel like it's good to recognize that Carly and I have lower support needs than a big part of the autistic community and that ABA has a very different effect on those that have low support needs compared to those who have high support needs. And we're speaking from our own experiences. You know, we of course cannot speak for those who have different support needs than us. Or have even just had a different experience. And I think that's why it's important to just kind of put out our experience in letting you continue to do your own research or have your own opinion that we'd be happy to hear and provide space for as well, whether it is positive or negative, but this is just coming from our experiences. It should put up a flag that people are expressing the need for trigger warnings with this topic. I think it has become such a sensitive topic within our community, and it seems like there's no correct way to talk about it because so many people are so for and so against it. So again, like just do your own research and listen with an open mind and open heart. And so first we wanted to talk about the origin. And kind of just what is ABA? Maybe you're listening and you don't know what ABA is. So ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis or Applied Behavior Analyst. So basically, it's a job where you are analyzing behaviors. Um, It Newer ABA focuses on positive reinforcement of behaviors that are desirable. Um, and if you're a, and we'll get more into what that means, um, but if you're an ABA, you don't work on your own. You report to a BCBA, and a BCBA is a board certified behavioral analyst. So Um, Basically, the BCBA creates a plan that the ABA follows to accomplish a goal for a client. And although ABA is taking positive strides towards making positive changes within the position, the beginning aspects of ABA are still always going to be the root in the history of it. And I think it's always important to learn the history of everything in order to obviously not repeat things. And so ABA was originally developed for autistic children by Dr. O. Ivar Lovas in 19 in the 1960s and they originally started with discrete trial training which actually we still used as of at least three years ago so interesting um, to already come across that bit of information Um, and yeah as Alex kind of mentioned this was created in order to give positive reinforcement um, in order to obtain a more desired behavior or a more neurotypical showing um, behavior. And so over the years, while ABA therapy has 
evolved, it still has these really concerning, this concerning goal of, you know, forcing autistics to conform to neurotypical standards, teaching students how to be more neurotypical, you know, trying to make kids autistic kids fit neurotypical standards, but autistic kids have different needs than neurotypicals. So that's not fair and it's not ethical. Right. And I think bringing up again, the fact that like the information of autism is really starting to kind of evolve just now in the 20s era, if you will. And like the information for autism was mainly focused on young boys back then. So maybe they were showing behaviors that, yeah, as Alex mentioned, were shown as less desirable. And now I think it has evolved to work on multiple different skills such as social skills even basic things like um you know how to use a pencil and um kind of taking I guess tools from even other therapies and bringing those into the session yeah and one thing that is problematic about ABA, like Carly was talking about, is the discrete trial training. And a lot of people claim that ABA does not do this anymore. However, it does. They're still doing discrete training, discrete trial training. And um, what Carly said just made me think of some things. Uh, I used to be an ABA therapist. Um, I am no longer an ABA therapist. But um, I would teach kids letters, um, and that would be a discrete trial training. So it's basically like a drill. Like you just do it over and over and over and over again. And while, you know, when I was doing it, I did take into account the needs of my the student I was working with, but that's the way the program works. Um, but a big problem with, you know, the first versions of ABA was that kids would be sitting for up to 40 hours a week doing these discrete trial trainings on, um, you know, it could be on anything, social behaviors, academics. And another issue with early ABA is punishment was used as well, which um, we'll talk a little more about later. Um, in ABA, you know, a lot of people claim that punishment is no longer used, but it is still being used, which we will also talk about a little more later. I feel like there's so much that needs to be said about ABA and I want to kind of keep all the information like organized, but it's, it's hard because everything, you know, all of this information just, it all goes together. <laughs> What would you add to that? Yeah, there's a lot to discuss. And I think even having our own experiences with it brings in a whole other conversation. And so I guess like, do you want to get, do you want to start diving into that aspect and maybe start talking about um, just about the beginning part of becoming an ABA therapist? Yeah, sure. So I graduated college. I really wanted to become a teacher. And so I started looking into opportunities that would, you know, get me a job in a school system. ABA was one of those jobs. And in order to become an ABA therapist, all I had to do was take a 40-hour training. That was it. I had a little experience working with kids. Um, I graduated with a degree in biology, um, which, yeah, I did 
you know, learn a little bit about behavior science, but not in the amount that I needed to have in order to be an ABA. So yeah, at the time of my qualification, all I needed was a 40 hour training and that training, um, you know, I really didn't learn much. I learned a lot more from the people I was working with, um, you know, hands-on experience, again, 40 hours to become certified in as a behavior analyst, um, I guess in a lot of places too, um, they're, um, they're also called registered behavioral technicians, RBT. You might see that as well. Um, I think there, is there a distinction between ABA and RBT? All I know is that when I became in ABA, the title had just changed from ABA to RBT, but like what you were, um, like holding, I guess the program was ABA. Does okay. that make sense? But your title yeah. was a registered behavior technician. Yeah. Cause when I started, I, people did refer to me as an ABA. Um, but again, like I, I didn't really know what I was doing because it was a 40 hour training and I learned a lot from the people around me. Also in the training, there was a whole section of it where the BCBA trainer went to a zoo and taught us how to use ABA on animals, which was pretty insulting, um, I don't remember all the details. I just remember it being a little distasteful that they were teaching us how to do these techniques that we were going to be using on children. They were doing it on animals and they were basically just like, yep, it all works the same. Um, yeah, that was, I thought that was really messed up. I hope the training has changed since then. Um, what was your experience with your training, Carly? So I'm thinking back and I believe I started in about 2018. So that was a couple years after graduating from college and having some experience. So when I started, I was hired with the qualifications of having a bachelor's degree and then having some experience of working with children. Um, and at the time they were especially looking for people with experience working with children with challenging behaviors. Um, and by that, I mean like um, physical and um, unsafe behaviors. And I did have experience with that from a previous job that was not ABA, but was also pretty traumatizing as well. Um, and so when I started, I had to take the 40-hour training. However, I was not held accountable for it in any way. I was kind of just thrown into the position and I was trained by a um, co-worker who was in the same position and had worked in it for a few years um, and I guess with that being mentioned like I hardly ever saw my BCBA when she came they would just come and like eat lunch with us and we wouldn't even talk about the children so like I I had no um no real history of particularly autism. I worked with a lot of disabled people throughout my whole life, but when it came to autism, I was just like really, I guess like um, confused by even like what it was. I was still not completely understanding of like what autism was, but I really loved working with children. And when I started like while I was doing the training with my coworker, like I really enjoyed the position. I really um, enjoyed getting to know my students. 
but once again, I wasn't held accountable for those 40 hours. And so I went through like a whole school year and like didn't do my training until the very end when it was absolutely like I need to do this in order to like come back next year or actually no it was because I was going to be doing like a summer program so I needed it for that and so I think like the act of I don't want to say like desperation but I think like the expectations that companies have hiring people isn't the best um even now as I've been removed for a few years now I like when I go to look for jobs the only jobs that really come up on like indeed are ABA jobs I see so many and not even needing as much um experience that I even had like having a bachelor's degree or experience like some people you don't need any of that and can just join yeah definitely um like the place where I worked you needed to have a bachelor's degree you know it was preferable if that bachelor's degree was in something like sociology or psychology or like anything where you had an understanding of like humans and behavior and how people function but it's it's an entry level position and it's pretty the pay is pretty low and it's a really it's a hard job it definitely is um and so i guess what i was trying to get at before is you do not need to have any kind of understanding or knowledge about autism or what autism is or autistic experiences you need to know nothing about autism and that's mainly that is who you're working with is autistics but um very similar to Carly like I've been looking for jobs and there's so so many ABA jobs and they're all entry-level positions that are paid very low. So there is a high need for ABAs. And, you know, I see a lot of jobs offering a $1,000 sign-on bonus, which, you know, is literally telling people, please, like anybody, like we need people to do this job. And I think something we'll talk more about is like, yes, we need autistic specialists, like they are important, but you need way more training in order to be in a specialist in autism. And I think that's a good point to bring up too, is the BCBA who has a master's degree, who has gone on for more extensive training, but then I guess like the point of being understaffed and they're pulled in all these different directions. So then you're not even getting the training from the person that is your like boss essentially yeah there's just it's too much on the job training um and I think you know a lot gets lost in that because it can be a very hectic job sometimes and you know every day you go into work you kind of have no idea what's going to happen. Like anything could happen because people's needs vary day to day. People's experiences vary from day to day. Um, And, you know, the training doesn't really provide you with, um, you know, the experience to handle that, I guess. And as I mentioned before, I think it's important to bring up the fact that like all of the people that I worked with, they were all wonderful people. They all really cared about wanting to help in the classrooms and in the school and with the children. And I don't think that anybody signs onto this role with like ill intent, but that is primarily what is wrong with ABA is the training. It's not the people that are, you know, committed to this position and act out their training that they've been given and told that, you know, it's science-based, it's all this, and they really, like, 
talk it up to make it sound like what you're doing is such a good thing. And in some people's lives, it might present as a really good thing, but later on in life, and as one continues to get older and maybe more independent, it really, I think, shows a lot of the negative effects of ABA. And I think we haven't really talked about yet, like, I think it'd be interesting to talk about like kind of what we did in ABA. We haven't really talked about how, like what you do as, you know, as the person and what you do is you are given a set of goals to work on with each child. And these goals have been agreed on with the BCBA and their other team members, usually the family, the caregivers, and an ABA will go to work maybe one-on-one, maybe in a group with the child to work on goals. And as they are working on them, they're collecting data in order to gain science evidence that what they are doing is either helping or not helping. Yeah, with ABA, like that data you're collecting um focuses on like an antecedent, a behavior, and a consequence. You're very focused on um kind of like you know obviously the behavior but you're also studying what happened before the behavior and what happened as a result of that behavior and you know sometimes it's a natural consequence but most of the time the ABA is providing the consequence um and like i said ABA is really moved away from being punishment focus but I think that because of the lack of training it still ends up involving punishment because you know and again all the people I worked with were really great people with good intentions um, and I do want to say that but I think it's there's just not enough training not enough knowledge about you know what we were doing but you know a lot of times like there would be the consequence of you know, taking away a fidget toy or, you know, um, not being allowed to go to the library or it's still like, you know, called consequence, but like there's still punishments Um, and not every behavior always gets a a positive reinforcement, especially like I was an ABA in like a classroom setting. So really like my job was unfortunately you know, doing what I could to have students participate in the ableist system of education. Like the school system is extremely ableist. And when you're an ABA in a school system, like your job is to get your student to comply and be obedient, Um, which sucked because that involves teaching them to, or honestly training them. I don't like using that word, but that's, you know, what you're doing, training them to fit into the neurotypical molds. Like I would have kids sitting uh, in their classroom and they'd be stimming and the teacher, their, the goal, the written goal would be for them to stop stimming in class. That was a goal sometimes, which is not okay. Um, And I learned a lot from that. And then when I became a teacher, you know, I allowed my students to stim in my classroom. And a lot of other teachers had problems with that. And they would kind of um, be very judgmental that I would allow students to pace back and forth in my classroom or flap their arms. And, you know, I I just learned from ABA and, you know, eventually learning I'm autistic. Like that's a way that the student is accessing their education that's something they need to do like you know all the autistics listening to this episode know like stimming is really important it's a way of regulating and then I guess like another side I wanted to bring in is you know sometimes due to sensory overload or various experiences or just you know what's happening sometimes a person might not be safe with their body. That would happen. Unfortunately, that would happen sometimes with students and they would move to self-abusive behaviors. 
Um, and I do want to recognize that ABA does work to provide ways of removing self-abusive behaviors that can be extremely dangerous and very scary for those witnessing um, and can cause a lot of harm to the autistic individual. Um, so I do want to recognize that, you know, ABA does work with those uh, self-abusive and abuses, abusive behaviors in general, because sometimes I would have students, um, you know, hitting or things like that, which is not okay. Um, but I do believe that there are better solutions than to use ABA therapy in kind of like these traumatic ways, you know, people's emotions get involved. Um, and the people doing it, again, are not trained enough. So what are your thoughts on, you know, ABA and, you know, harm, like, mostly like self abusive behaviors? I think it does become tricky because there does need to be support in those situations and maybe the support that's given is the best that I don't know the people that come up with the training can come up with at the time because I've seen it you know in other um, programs and organizations that I've worked with similar um, approaches but I think just like when it comes to children, like they are just so impressionable and sponges and it really just comes down to, again, like there needs to be more training. There needs to be more people that are specialized in autism. And I'm hopeful that maybe there will be better strides in the future but I don't think ABA is it I think we need to start like fresh because I do think it's important to like have support for these kids that are in classrooms or or go to an after school or before school program to get these lessons and education but a lot of it is still outdated and in my experience, I had seen and also like heard from other people that I worked with that like some of the goals that students would be working on would have been working on them for years and maybe had already mastered it years ago. And so it just goes to show like how sometimes like kids that don't show maybe as many self-abusive behaviors can still get like lost and left back and maybe not given the accurate support that they might need and same for like the student that maybe does show a lot of self-abusive behaviors but it's tricky because how do we provide that safe space for these people when we are still trying to catch up and when people still don't know what autism is and you brought up the point of like when somebody would take away like a stim toy or something as a consequence I had seen students have iPads taking away from them when it was their communication device and it was used as like a consequence against them. And I'm not saying that to like shine light on that, but to bring up the fact that like not everybody is always even on the same team or like up to the same page on each student I think that's I mean it's just so tricky these days there's so many students everybody has their needs you know with autism and not with autism every individual is worthy of having 
support. And I think we, at least in the United States and in my experience, like we are not giving that support. Maybe it comes from having these positions that just will hire unqualified people and they kind of have history of being like um like a rotating door people coming in and out of the positions or trying it out or just like getting it to have a job and whatnot but like it is serious and I think it is something that is important for the community to talk about like how can people better support autistic children and help them when they are in a harmful situation yeah and like just because it's our only option doesn't mean it's a good option but right now ABA is the only option for I would say most of America um, especially just the fact that the public schools use ABA so if you are an autistic student attending a public school in America I'm pretty sure all of America, um, maybe that's something you have to look a little more into, but if you're an autistic student attending public school in America and you have higher support needs, it's very, very likely that you will be working with an ABA therapist. Yeah. Like right now it's really the only option for most of America. Yeah. That's a good point because when you go to get your diagnosis or your child is diagnosed, you're given maybe like a list of resources and ABA is often, like Alex mentioned, one of the only kinds of support that is maybe offered or is covered by insurance, which I think plays like a huge role in ABA too. Yeah, insurance is um, really restrictive. Um, I was actually recently talking to a BCBA who it was very knowledgeable about autism and, you know, agreed that this is not a system that's working. But, you know, they went on to talk about how limiting insurance is and how insurance only approves of certain procedures being used. Um, yeah, insurance is just really limiting. But yeah, ABA and BCBA are only authorized to provide certain services. And, you know, there's like a whole board that certifies ABAs and BCBAs. And if they don't adhere to the rules, then, you know, you can lose your certification, you can lose your license. Um, It's really strict. That's a good point, too, because I remember how students with insurance were given, you know, you, you had to service them for so many hours a week. And that was like by insurance guidelines. And so you had to follow that. But then there would be not enough staff members in order to give these services even which I don't think like like I think this is just a part of it it's not necessarily like a pro or con against like ABA I would say it's just like that's kind of like the system of America that we live in Um, I do want to talk more about maybe just like some of your experiences in ABA like maybe you know pro or con whatever you feel called to share to be honest it was mostly con I was not an ABA for a very long time um it didn't feel right I didn't really agree with what I was doing um I worked in uh I have a lot to say about, you know, the system of public school. I think it's bad and it needs to be restructured. It's so, so ableist and it's gross. Um, But ABA is part of that in the school system. 
And so, you know, public schools really just cater to neurotypical students and they, you know, really leave neurodivergent students in the dust, um, you know, unless you're a neurodivergent person who's extremely smart or has like a really big talent. Um, you know, that's not all of us, but some of us do. But then there's the social, um, the, you know, some people have a hard time with socializing. So that's like a whole other part of public school. So yeah, I didn't really like my experience because most of the time I was working with kids to stop them from expressing themselves and forcing them to participate in the ableist institution of public school. Um, I had a student who needed to get up and pace and walk around and they were not allowed to do that. Um, and part of my job was getting them to sit still, which is horrible. <laughs> um, didn't work. Uh, that was one of their goals, which they didn't achieve because they needed to walk around. Um, and then years later, I had them as a student and I let them stim and do what they needed to. And they did so much better in my class. Um, they did not go to any of their other classes, but they went to my class and they did well because they were allowed to live and do what they needed to do. Um, another example, you know, getting your student to participate almost like forcing them to raise their hand. Um, another one is eye contact. Uh, some students had the goal of making eye contact, which is messed up. Um, I worked with one student, they were a lot younger and I was teaching them letters, words. Um, they or a non-speaking individual. So I was training them, I guess teaching, but it really just mean feels more like training. And again, I don't like using that word, but it's literally called discrete trial training. Um, you know, getting them to talk was a goal, which I just think there needs to be more alternatives and those alternatives just need to be accepted and supported in society. I think there's many different ways to express yourself and those ways really need to be honored. Um, so yeah, I didn't have the only positive I had as an ABA was getting to work with some really, really amazing students um, and learning about them and just spending time with them and trying my best to help them to feel seen in a system that is very oppressive. Um, I guess that was the best part. Um, one of my other students, they didn't like writing and they just wanted to use like initials for um, actually, it was just their name. They just wanted to use their initials. They didn't want to write out their full name. I didn't see a problem with that, but it was their goal to write their full name, which I don't even think they knew how to write their name. They just didn't like they had trouble, you know, using a pencil. But rather than finding alternatives, they were being forced to write their name. That was a goal for them, which is, again, messed up. Um, but yeah, I guess circling back to a positive was getting to work with neurodivergent students, autistic students, and seeing myself in those students and realizing that I'm autistic too. Um, because I don't know if I would have realized I'm autistic, um, if not for working with so many autistic individuals. But yeah, I, I learned so much from 
my students and, you know, listening to them and hearing what they had to say about it was really interesting. Uh, One of my favorite experiences was one of my students every day would talk about how they wanted to start their own school and how they weren't going to do any of this stuff in the new school. And like every day they'd like add another thing to their list of things their new school like wouldn't do or would do. And that was really fun. And I I hope one day they open their own school. <laughs> um, but yeah, do you want to talk a little more about your experience? Sure. Thank you for sharing yours. And I guess I will start also with the maybe not so light things to talk about and then talk about some of my highlights too and so bringing it back to some of those um, exercises that you would do with the children sometimes it would require um, I don't think they do this anymore I think they were trying to um, eliminate this but I know people were still doing it, but like the hand over hand type of exercise, that was really something that I think was not, doesn't really help like show independence. And I I know that a lot of people were just like triggered by that. Um, and I know that was something that they were trying to get rid of, but it was something that I recognized still, I guess, just in the beginning of my experience um and then also a lot of the time there would be certain goals that you would work on and while you're doing it um they're very like reward based so the student would be rewarded with oftentimes um food which i think teaches a lot of bad things i think that can just really uh cause a lot of future challenges when you're like told oh if you do this then you get like a skittle one skittle um I just found that to be really disheartening and kind of same as Alex like my experience wasn't the best but as I got deeper into it because I worked um, there for about three years and as I learned more and more about autism and saw the diversity of my students and of really like showcasing the spectrum I saw like how problematic it was um I mean I saw that right away with uh, I think especially like those students that had these self-abusive um challenges I think that became really challenging for myself to like witness and be a part of even though you're trying to create this safe environment like and then even going back and doing that data of the um like seeing what the antecedent was and seeing like this is what caused all of this and and that's what was logged for data saying oh because this happened this is this was the consequence when really like it could have been something internal all along or like just something that we didn't even recognize like you know there's just so much more that I think goes into it. And I think what hurt the most was seeing how much ableism was around and like the lack of support from others and people that tried to give support and just, yeah, fully just didn't understand again, like what autism was and it goes as deep as like I I think I've like shared maybe briefly about this but like during my second year the classroom that I was in was like the size of a closet and like we had no business having like autistic children and grown adults in this tiny 
room and that was brought on by the state saying that they wanted them to be more inclusive and be around more neurotypical peers but really it like caused I think so many more challenges and you know sensory issues just and oh it was just a mess I can't even like think about it because it was just like complete chaos but at that time that's when I really started like I think I always had really good connections with my students but I spent like I think so much more individual time with students then that I got to really see more of a fuller picture if that makes sense because sometimes you would be working with students and it would only be for like 10 minutes a day and then you don't see them again for a week where other students you would work daily and in that particular year I was with the same students all day and so I just saw so much more harm I guess in what was taking place I guess like I it's hard to put into more developed thoughts because I think like like as we talk about it and as we process it like it really just comes down to like the lack of knowledge when it comes to autism and like that still being the issue and seeing that people are trying their best and that ABA is trying to change and I think, like, I'm glad that we can have this conversation. I don't know what kind of feedback we will have from it, but I think, like, the most important takeaway is that, like, we as humans, like, need to do better. And we are doing better. We're, we are getting better, but it's just not good enough yet. And we're already letting down so many students in the process. And it is like reported later in life that so many students suffer from PTSD because of this system that we've put them in and with ABA. And it's just like not fair. And it feels like we're not even given like the same chances as other students because I mean look at our whole generation that like so many of us were missed to begin with it's just it's heartbreaking truly but to bring some light my positives would also be like the students that I worked with like completely changed my life I will hold so many of the memories that I made with students like so close to my heart they impacted me so so much and I think that's where this topic became I think hard for us to talk about or at least for myself to talk about was these like good stories and good memories that I have in this position and making relationships with students and seeing that I did impact them in a positive way too and I know that I didn't necessarily do anything on purpose but it was because of the way that I was trained and as I did learn more about autism um because that's like when I really started like doing so much research on it and connecting it with it myself I recognized as I was doing more and more research like the steps that I could take in order to provide more of a safe space and better care for my students for example when I had a student that had a goal to eliminate their stimmy little hand flap I would never ever ever address that I like morally I put my morals first like sorry insurance but like I knew that some of the goals that like students had weren't ethical as as Alex mentioned there were a lot of things that I found not to be ethical and so I had to kind of step into like my own power at that time as much as I could in order to protect my my students like i seriously felt so protective over them the more and more that I began to learn and I think that's like why I am here today is just to continue to like protect those kids and like just spread awareness and I just 
hope so much that they all, you know, are able to access their greatest potential in life. That's sweet. Um, but yeah, I think what it comes down to is ABA overall is a system and overall it, it can be really oppressive. Um, but I think, you know, we can recognize that not every single place that offers ABA does it the same way, even though there's like supposed to be consistency. I think it's very similar to the idea of the public school system. Like every place is different. Every place has different people working there. Every place, you know, does it very differently. Um, and again, like for a lot of people, it is the only option. That doesn't mean that it's good. It just means that it's the only option. So I think there are a lot of places that are educating themselves on the autistic experience. And like, I know that um, I have talked to BCVAs who, you know, say that they do not work on goals to eliminate things like stimming or, you know, other things, and they refuse to work with that. So um, again, I think what it comes down to is listening to autistics, listening to autistic voices, listening to autistic experiences, um, learning from people who have been through the experience of getting ABA therapy. You know, um, neither of us have you know, gotten ABA therapy. We've only been ABA therapists. So our voices are only, you know, reflective of that one experience. You know, we were participating in the system. Um, and, you know, I mean, speaking for me, like just because I'm autistic doesn't mean I know everything about the experience or I'm speaking for people who have experienced it. Um, it's just one viewpoint, you might be an autistic who benefited from ABA therapy, or maybe you had a really negative experience. I think it's really important to take into account both of those voices. Um, yeah. I agree. Like anything, I think it's up to us as individuals to do our own research and form our own opinions and especially when it comes to maybe like making the decision with like having your child receive these services just try and receive as much information as you can yeah if you are yeah if you are looking into services for your child I'd highly recommend yeah researching from people who have experienced ABA therapy um, and even though it, it might seem like ABA is the only option, there are other options out there. Um, there's a few different ones that I found, like there's equine therapy, yoga therapy, music therapy, any kind of animal assisted therapy. So um, while these therapies don't, you know, substitute everything ABA does. I think it's important to like look into different options and listen to the voices that have experienced those options. I agree. And with that being said, do you have any last thoughts? Not at the moment, but if you have experience with ABA and you feel comfortable to come onto our podcast and talk about it, we would love to hear from you. We would love to promote voices who have experienced ABA to get that other viewpoint. You know, this is just such a big topic and it's a topic that many people have differing opinions on. Um, so yeah, we want to highlight voices that have the experience too so if you have those experiences and you want to share you can send us an email 
to pod.thespecialinterest at gmail.com. That's pod.thespecialinterest at gmail.com. That's all for today. Thank you for tuning in with an open mind. Please be easy on us. This is a difficult topic that has taken us a long time to get here and really open up and process with you all. So thank you for allowing us this space to do so. And also, you know, we're learning too. Um, We don't know. I think I've said this before, but we're learning. So, you know, we don't know everything. I think it's just really what I want to drive home and Again, I said this at the beginning, but I also want to recognize it at the end. I have low support needs. So this is my perspective as a low support needs autistic person. Yes, I think that is a good point to bring up. So thanks for bringing attention to that. And with that, we will see you. Well, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We're so grateful for you. Bye. Bye.